0: Welcome back to another exciting Ninja November adventure with Punches and Popcorn, a show where we slice our way through the best, the worst, the history, and the science behind martial arts movies and the heroes that made them. I'm your host, Michael Huntone, and with me, as always, is our resident
1: genius, Jason Bills. Uh, Why is this happening? Why won't anyone do anything? I don't understand. Why? Why? (laughs) A question we may answer
0: tonight. (laughs) Uh, And our own walking weapon, (laughs) the professor, Dr.
2: Dominic Demore. Why?! (laughs) Bang! I just slammed my heel through a table for some reason.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if you can't tell... We're on the same page. (laughs) (laughs) We're on the same page, and that is because tonight we are diving into the 1984 by way of 2021 film, New York Ninja!
2: That double clap gets
0: me. It's great. It's great. New York Ninja is a movie about ninjas, street justice, guerrilla warfare, guerrilla reporting, guerrilla marketing, and guerrilla filmmaking. Truly, the story of New York Ninja is not only what we are blessed with on the screen, but just as fascinating how this 1980s gem found its way into the screen finally in 2021. With us to explore the film... And its unique history is our very special guest, film historian, librarian, kung fu movie Jedi master, and now three-time punches and popcorn guest, co-author of what we consider our podcast bible, "These Fist Break Bricks." Chris Pajali.
3: Hi. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for attending. Thank you very much.
2: (laughs) I'm
0: very excited. Yeah, we are we are thrilled to have you back with us tonight, Chris, and thrilled to have you especially for this movie tonight. So, uh, you know, this movie history is such an important part of this story here, and I think the best way to get started with some history, some history from the gospel, the gospel of the guillotine. You got it,
3: genius. Genius. I'm a genius. He's geniusy, Wild oh, coyote, super genius. Was it you, genius? You little genius,
0: you. Being a genius certainly has its advantages.
1: Yeah, last week on our episode, I was bemoaning the uh, kind of the going away of of studio, I guess, like discs, like Blu-ray or Ultra 4K. But what has been really, and this is what I want to talk about tonight, kind of picking up the slack is more of the boutique labels and... That ties directly into new york ninja which we're talking about tonight with vinegar syndrome not only like releasing the movie but editing it basically finishing the movie which is i think unprecedented i I can't even remember this happening ever before so uh, what i want to make the gospel about is to praise these boutique labels um and before we dive into new york ninja i want to go over like four or five other special features on discs blu-ray dvd etc that really have made me passionate about movies i mean the reason I got into uh, obviously i loved movies but what really kind of drove the heart of me wanting to be a filmmaker um which never panned out because you know life and health insurance yet was yes, these special Jay. features and i just want to again highlight some of those from these boutique labels i'm going to do this quickly because i don't want chris to talk as much as possible um <laughs> so the first is this uk label um they put out a box on sam filler fuller, fuller was a filmmaker from i guess like from the 40s through the 80s who just like one of my favorite filmmakers is called Sam Fuller at Columbia, 1937 to 1961 indicator is a UK label. So they're over in England and they do some terrific stuff. And again, the movies, the, the box set itself is, in, is insane. Like shock Horror, kind of all his big stuff, but are the rifle and the movie camera rushes. It's basically not only so Tim Robbins, the actor interviewed Sam Fuller and it's literally like seven. No, I think it's 10 hours of just, all their conversation. It's just the audio and it's, it's <laughs> unbelievable. It's, it's so detailed and you get to really get in his head. And it, he is like to kind of, it's so funny how old I am now. Cause like, how would the kids understand Sam Fuller? And I'd want to say like, Oh, well Kevin Smith, like he's a raconteur, like uh, the best kind of like, he can just tell a yarn, but that's uh, maybe the kids don't even know that anymore. Like that was the kids when I was a kid. So <laughs> I'm completely out of it uh, But anyways, it's just it highlights what a gifted storyteller teller he was also another film i i love which puts sam fuller on the the front and center is this film that he made with jim jarmusch the uh director um, it's called Tigrero, a film that n- was never made it was it's just a documentary of him and jim jarmusch talking about a movie sam fuller never made but again he's just chomping on a cigar like he was a news like guy back in the 40s literally like newspaper kid and you've never seen a personality like this and it just shows up in all of his films so again for indicator to just have the raw audio on there for 10 hours is is unprecedented and it's something i love okay so arrow video also put out um on their bring me the head of alfredo garcia an excellent movie disc uh Sa- sam Peckinpah this time man <sighs> of iron and it's basically a documentary about sam Peckinpah, but there's also uh. the director's cut which is 10 hours long of just all of his collaborators everyone that kind (laughs) of knew him and it not only delves into his filmmaking career you know because that's why you show up but you know the the man was kind of haunted in his personal life too and so one time I'm oversharing at this point but one time I I made my friend sit down and and watch the um, Boogie Nights commentary with Paul Thomas Anderson and he's like oh, I get it. Like we we watched the whole thing because it was my favorite commentary again, 20 years ago when I was a kid. And he's like, I get it. It's like you're hanging out with the, the filmmaker. Like you're almost friends because you're in a conversation, obviously. <laughs> it's a one-way conversation, but that's sort of like you're getting in the head of these creative people who you like worship. And it, that's what I mean. Like th- this, what I was bemoaning last week is this, is going away like special features like if sony puts out a blu-ray disc now like you're lucky if you get a director's commentary like it's sort of going away you get these like five minute epks and it's just not it's not the same And it kind of makes me sad so again this is why these boutique labels are so important quickly i'm going to run faster i promise so criterion put out night of the hunter on blu-ray which is this nice. Charles Lawton film. And it's it's absolutely like the most haunting kind of fairy tale you're ever going to watch. But on the second disc, there's this Charles Lawton directs Night of the Hunter. And it's almost three hours of him directing actors. He's literally off the camera and he'll be telling like, it's a lot of child acting. Like, oh, do this one sad. Do this one happy. Like do this one crying. And and it, he'll do it from everyone, from children to the, the female actors. It is unbelievable. I, I kind of never have seen such like raw footage of movie making but it, it's unlike. like i i can't even I, I was like my jaw was dropped down because again i <laughs> i love um filmmaking and to just see like one of the greatest actors make his only directed movie and also just seeing him direct it was as unbelievable and then so quickly to finish up I wanted to highlight something came out on the actual studio disc Warner Brothers. They put out the making of the shining, um, which is just this quick 30 minute documentary that Stanley Kubrick's daughter, I think her name's Vivian made. And she's just kind of like a fly in the wall documentary. And again, it's not like a cool boutique label thing, which would be cooler. But in this case, it's just that, warner brothers included this on the disc but it's so um daughter has a camera i mean you get to see jack nicholson and him talking out a shot you see like kubrick on the floor with his little viewfinder like under jack as he's going insane it's just like the shining is such like a mythical treasure of a horror film to see it being made it, like have this curtain drawn back it's unbelievable so anyways long story short that is why i love discs because like you know you'll get a digital copy of something and that's fine but a lot of times the special features aren't carried over and the I want to all just tie this into Chris, which I recently bought Samurai Wolf one and two on Blu-ray because oh. of your director or not director. I'm so sorry. <laughs> your commentary on it. You know, Historian <laughs> commentary. Cause mm-hmm. again, I, I'm interested in the movie, but I bought it because I wanted to hear what you said on it. And I just, uh, I'm so excited. I haven't actually listened to it yet, but oh, I wanted to tie it all together there with our guests and why I love this stuff, because I love the history of film and thank you for joining us again.
3: Well, you're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for getting Samurai Wolf. This is the perfect movie
1: to talk about
0: this stuff. So as I'm sure we'll get into here in a moment, this movie has a really awesome release by Vinegar Syndrome. I probably got the special edition of this probably over a year ago. And I watched the movie. I don't know that I watched much else from it. And in preparing for this, I was like, all right, let me check and see what else is on. What's on this disc? What are some of the special features? And in the main disc... There is a documentary, Re Enter the Ninja, Re Enter the New York Ninja. When you put on that documentary, the very first person you see and hear (laughs) is the man joining us tonight, Chris Pajali. So I have to give credit to Jay because when we were talking about doing this, Jay's the one that reached out. He's like, Oh, you should see if Chris is available. It'd be really cool for him to talk about this movie. With us, And as soon as Chris, I saw you show up on the screen, <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, my God, that's Chris. And <laughs> I was so I was like, mentally, thank you. I was like, thank you for suggesting this, because I'm so glad that we could have you on. That was really cool. So, yeah, <laughs> uh...
3: <laughs> that that was yeah, that, that was funny. Uh, you know, we shot under the Manhattan Bridge in uh, across the street from where the uh, Sun Sing Theater used to be. And yes. I kept, I kept messing up. Like I didn't have anything written. <laughs> I didn't even know I was going to be in this documentary. <laughs> uh, a, a part, I was interviewed for it. And then, uh, after, cause I, I was interviewed and Grady and Carl Morano all at the same time. Uh, we, right. we shot our interviews at Grady's office in, okay. in midtown Manhattan. And then afterwards, but like Carl had to go somewhere, Grady had to go somewhere. And I so I'm hanging out with Mike Ingold and, and Glenn Baisley, who shot the interviews. And they were going downtown to to get some shots of all the where the theaters used to be in Chinatown. So I hung out with them and I figured yeah, you know, we'd go to lunch afterwards. Mike's like, Oh yeah, no, we 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 want you to have you introduce this. What I would have prepared something, so I kept (laughs) I kept making mistakes, and you know we had to time it because the subway goes over. Oh, of course. Oh, right, right. You know, because the the subway runs under the Manhattan Bridge, so (laughs) every like four minutes or five minutes, um, or, or less than that, really. Uh, and then buses were going by and blocking. Like I would say, oh, across the street is where, and then there's a bus blocking where the theater used to be. It's, it's right, right. It took so long to do this. <laughs> and then that's Mike incredible. said, okay, we finally did it. He's like, okay, let's go over to where the music palace used to be. I go, I'm not doing this again. You're, you're <laughs> going to start do it, doing the intros. <laughs> uh, Chris, did I you love- watch any movies in those theaters? Like, Yes, yeah. Oh, um, wow, that's so cool. Uh, yeah, the the Sun Sing. The only thing I saw in the Sun Sing was hard boiled. Oh, oh, the, that's that classic! Oh, great. But the the uh, the Music Palace I used to go to a lot, and then there was a theater around the corner called the Rosemary, which was the newest of the theaters. That didn't open until I think 1982, <laughs> and we we used to call that the Roach Mary because there were roaches <laughs> everywhere. It was, it was just hilarious. Yeah, I mean, you'd watch them walking across the top of the the seats <laughs> yeah it's so funny
1: because like i'm sure it's obviously sad now because not only did we get to know where they were we get to see what they are now which is not movie theaters and mm. i'm a suburb kid and our movie theaters like our multiplexes are now closing and it's, it's just so depressing like i just like i don't know i just like in an urban setting i, I sort of get it more but even the suburbs can't keep a multiplex open which mm. I, it's just kind of sad well I think looking back
0: to the past is a great place for us to start mm-hmm. with this movie. Let's yes. take it back. Take it back to 1984 when New York Ninja <laughs> was born. Chris, I'm hoping that you can help set the scene for us of uh, where this movie came from, how it came to be and kind of that journey that got us from 1984
3: to 2021. <laughs> uh well, I I don't know how 21st century got involved with John Liu. Uh, John Liu, I I believe he wrote the movie. He definitely directed uh, New York Ninja and was the star. It was his fourth film as a director. And I guess in 21st century was getting into production. And Kung Fu movies were a big part of their... You know, their output and like really right from the start uh, when they, the company opened in 1976 the co-owner co-founder of the company uh, made a deal for i think 10 16 millimeter martial arts movies none of them ended up getting released because i, I don't think he was with the company long enough uh, he had been a sale a guy named michael jesco he had been a a sales executive with bryanston uh, releasing and when they went out of business because of you know mob activities and, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, he he just started 21st century and and slipped the company into all of the former sub distributors that had been handling bryanston stuff so like right from the start they had um a martial arts uh because those movies were popular at the time in 1976 and uh, and you know they they were fairly cheap to pick up, and and you always had theaters around the country that would play them. So they uh, they became known as as mostly a, a kung fu uh, distributor until the early '80s when they they branched out and got into you know horror movies from around the world. But they yeah, but a large part of the company was. Uh, the martial arts genre. So, uh, and, and at that point, ninja movies were becoming really popular in 1984. And what the other distributors were doing was if they if they couldn't get an actual ninja movie or produce a ninja movie, they would just get any martial arts movie and stick ninja in the title. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> Whether there were ninjas or there weren't ninjas, it they, they, they just became a ninja movie. Uh, kind of like the way Bruce Lee movies that had nothing to do with Bruce Lee. You know, you had movies with Bruce or Lee or Dragon. Yeah, you know, like we were <laughs> right. just talking about when dragons collide.
1: Right, right. Know,
3: yeah. Yeah. It's just sticking the word dragon or Bruce or Lee or Bruce Lee or yeah, uh in the title. And then when those started to, you know, when, when people realized, you know, the the third or fourth time you got ripped off but you thought you were gonna <laughs> see Bruce Lee. <laughs> yeah. Uh that say they started doing the same thing with ninjas. So, uh, how how I, again? I don't know how they hooked up with John Liu, but uh, John Liu had done a movie called "In the Cl- In the Claws of the CIA." Oh yeah, yeah. And- Ninja in the
0: Claws of the CIA.
3: Right. Well, ninja I was ninja. added to the title. Oh, ninja, ninja was yeah. added. To it. Oh. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> there's there's no ninja. I mean, in one scene, he he throws he throws a star. Either sure him, <laughs> uh, and that that's all you need. That you know that, that's ju- justification to to stick ninja in the title. Uh, so so it, it was a it, you know a phony phony ninja movie. So uh, yeah, I'm guessing. Hey, you know this is an opportunity to do a real ninja movie. But I mean, it's it's really I mean, New York Ninja is it's kind of like a superhero movie. I oh, mean, yeah, it's it's definitely. it's close it's closer to Superman than <laughs> you know, right, right, than uh, than than a ninja movie. But uh, you know, uh, well, actually, I'm, I'm probably getting ahead ahead here of uh, of the discussion. But there's that great shot where they drive down 42nd Street. And there are, I think, three ninja movies playing on one yep. side of the yes. street. One of yeah. them was Ninja it's, 3, which we covered. Yeah. Yes.
1: Domination. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes.
0: That's, talk about it. a movie Eight that's since. not just a ninja movie. That's a, a ninja movie, a superhero movie, a horror movie. A, oh, that's everything.
3: A flash dance cash-in. Yeah. Right.
0: Right. Right. Oh, I forgot about the yoga. exercise cash The jazzercise. Oh, what a treat.
3: <laughs> yeah i think the secret ninja also which is a dragon lee movie i think that's that's one of the other ones on the on the marquees i forgot what the other one but yeah i think there are like three of them <laughs> so uh so yeah they uh they went into the john lu business and uh they they wanted to have rudy ray Moore in the movie God, that and, was, and they they even named it uh a character would have been so great detective dolomite, do, we, do you know who yeah he would have played the detective uh yeah because oh. the, the character's name is i think it's in the script it's like detective dolomite or, or oh something oh my god like that. that's oh so you great. know i think i remember hearing that on the commentary ah oh. gonna love that yeah <laughs> and that's that's in the script in, right know, in, in the original <laughs> screenplay, it's uh, yeah the, oh. the character's name is Dolomite. <laughs> uh, but they you know they didn't get Rudy Ray Moore. Uh, yeah, so the, so they sh- they shot it in 1984, and then it it never it was never completed. 21st century was just a, a mess uh, at that point. But when the when the movie went into production. The president of the company, uh, Tom Ward, who had co-founded it in 76 with Michael Jesko. uh, Tom Ward resigned, I think, in September of 83. And then so when the movie actually went into production in, 80, in 84, I think uh, Arthur Schweitzer, who had been the vice president, and was then um, promoted to uh, to president. And he's credited on the film as, uh, the producer, um, d- during the course of the next year, there were all sorts of, uh, financial issues with the company. So art Schweitzer ended up stepping down in, in 1985, and the movie hadn't been finished yet. And his vice president took over Schweitzer resigned and eventually they filed for, for bankruptcy. Like, and then another another president came in to kind of turn, try to turn the company around and uh, the banks foreclosed on it in 1988. And then that's when Canon stepped in, but, but that's how, you know, New, New York Ninja was just kind of in, in limbo for a while there, but it ended up, it was at Canon for a while and they were planning to put it out on VHS uh, <laughs> in like, I think 1990 or, um, And it was being edited by uh, uh, an editor named Jim Markovic. He was, you know, he he had the the whole film, the sound and everything, and was working on it. And then I don't know what happened afterwards, but it ended up back with Art Schweitzer and Vinegar Syndrome when they made a deal with Art Schweitzer to get the Cinevest titles and the 21st century titles that he still. Uh, had control over so the, so they were yeah they they had all this stuff and the first time i went to vinegar syndrome which was in february of 2013 joe rubin was giving me a tour of the place and he said oh here, here are all the films that we got from Art Schweitzer. and i said oh so you, you have 21st centuries collection you got them already so he had told me a few months earlier that that they were making a deal with him he's oh, oh wow. yeah, yeah. So I, I was just joking around with myself. Oh, do you have New York Ninja? And he's like, how do you know New York Ninja? And, and I said, well, I remember when it was being made. They were talk to, talking about it in Variety and it was you know, they were selling it at, at the film festivals
0: I noticed in, I was looking through these Fist Break Bricks mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a bit about it in there where you had said, yeah. and I don't know, um, you could remind when you guys wrote that book, but it says like, oh, something about like New York Ninja that has yet to be released. And I'm like,
3: yeah. it's funny reading it now. I'm like, oh, now it has. Yeah. yeah. When did you guys write that? Well, it's funny. I was writing that section and I remembered being there. and Well, Joe had shown me. and I asked him. I was just joking around. Do you have New York Ninja? He he took me over and he showed me a box or a couple of boxes, and he said, (laughs) "That's it, right there." I said, "You're you're kidding me." And he goes, "No." That's amazing. And it was, you know, NY Ninja was written on the box, and he said, "It's all, it's all picture negative." He said, "We don't have a script. We don't have anything." I said, "Oh, you know, you guys should you you should do something with it." He's like, "Do what? There's nothing. There's no script. There's no sound. There's no there's no way we can put this together." Right. So I just forgot about it. But you know, then it's like 2019. I think I uh, you know we're working on the book, and I I contacted Ryan Emerson and uh, uh, Brendan Upson from the company. And I said, Hey, you guys, I remember, you know, Joe showing me New York Ninja. I said, do you, do you right. have any other information about that? Have you ever found any paperwork or whatever? Cause this is six years later uh, right, after, right. after he showed me the boxes stuff. And it, it was the same thing. Ryan's like, how do you know about New York Ninja? So I sent him <laughs> like ads that I have. It, one of them <laughs> we used in the book that, that was from a festival that was from like a a 1984 issue of variety where they were pre-selling it at at some (laughs) film festival. So I said, well, I I have this. I go, I remember when it was in production and and I heard somewhere that Rudy Ray Moore was going to be in it. Is he in it? And so Brian wrote back, he's like, that's, that's amazing. He said, yeah, no, he, he was supposed to be in it, but he, you know, they didn't get him. And he said, the only thing we know about it is there's a character called the plutonium killer. <laughs> right right okay. right that i didn't know i knew like there was a short description in one of the variety issues where they said that john Lu plays a, a tv cameraman or a tv technician who right dons the the new york ninja garb and, and goes out to avenge his wife's murder um yeah. so but i didn't know about a plutonium killer so yeah so ryan said you know we, we know that john lou directed it and yeah, you know, and, and we know Rudy Ray Moore is not in it, and there's a character named Plutonium Killer, but that's it. <laughs> and, and he said, but you know, we we're probably going to be doing something with it soon. He said the, the the problem is there's no sound. Which I remember Joe right. telling me. Uh, he said, but you know, we're looking into maybe finishing it and putting a soundtrack in. So then I asked Joe about it you know, a couple months later, and and he told me, confirmed that. Oh yeah, yeah. We're going to do a soundtrack, and you know somebody's putting the film together, and and uh, but it's taking a long time because there's no script, and, right? Right. Uh, and he sent me because uh, I said you know I'd like to write a little bit in the book about it, and so he sent me a, a copy of it, like a file with no sound because they hadn't oh, done really? the, no the way, yeah. It was like a rough assembly that I guess that <laughs> Curtis had had done. And and that um, the Sharon Mitchell rape scene was still in there, was all oh, right was in the film at that point. But, you know, I, I told Curtis later, the acting is so broad that I could <laughs> I was reading lips and I had no problem following the story. I mean, it's a simple story anyway. But right. 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 But yeah, I mean, most of the actors, it's just such broad acting. Mm-hmm. That I mean, he he did uh, have to hire a lip reader, I think.
1: Right, I right. For
3: yeah. or like one scene, or yeah. But yeah, it was it was you know, pretty pretty simple, <laughs> simple story to follow. Uh,
2: right. I right, still right. didn't
3: follow it. I still I, I there was I, <laughs> I still have questions about the movie. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean the 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 big question is who the hell is the Plutonium Killer? What's going on there? And you know, I I have the I have the screenplay.
1: You yeah, have the, yeah, the I have one. the
3: screenplay. Yeah, yeah, and and there's there's no writer credited on it, um, <laughs> but but the the explanation of, of who they, they still don't explain who who he is. His name is Evil in the script. Oh, wow, yeah. no yeah. way! Just, like yeah, Evil Can Evil? Knievel? <laughs> right. Well, no, it's 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 like Doctor Evil, you And you know. It's, the, the scene where he's talking to the Dolomite character in uh, it, it, the, the movie finished follows the screenplay pretty closely, but uh, yeah, the the explanation is that he had been in Hiroshima and he was contaminated and it, it and it messed with his, with his DNA and, and, and uh, with his metabolism and, and, and then it skips, like this is dialogue where where the one character is <laughs> saying it. He goes, Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and it started doing weird things to his metabolism. Then he turned up in Vietnam and was raising all sorts of hell during the war. And now he's, it's like, well, wait, we went 20 years. And what, what was going on between World War II and. And Vietnam, and then now Uh, suddenly he's in New York, and he's he's like a white slaver or what? What the hell is that's it? I mean, there's no uh, more explanation.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah. At what point in that lineage does he does that in that timeline? Does he get his welding goggles? That's what (laughs) I want to know because like the costumes. I mean, can we start uh, talking about the movie now? Yeah. We got we got to start (laughs) talking about. So right, vinegar uh, syndrome
0: found this movie, <laughs> yeah. they put this out, I uh, think Curtis Spieler, uh yeah, I remember mm-hmm. that right? He's the guy that really re-edited it, put it together, they yeah. got a bunch of their Vinegar Syndrome actors and some real martial arts royalties to do the voices because there's no sound, as Chris mentioned, including Don the Dragon Wilson, Cynthia Rothrock, um, What's the Linnea Headley? Quigley. I, not that- Quigley. Quigley, right? Who was trash from *Return of the* Living *Return Dead, of right? the Living Dead*? Yes, amongst other things. So, anyways, they got their vinegar syndrome, got their people to do this. They got the band Voyager Three to create this awesome soundtrack and delivered this movie to us. Which let me set the stage for how we start here. So, our movie begins with a gorgeously bittersweet view of the World Trade Center, where we meet our hero John Liu, and his beautiful wife Nita. Who surprises him with news that she's expecting? He's going to be a daddy! Unfortunately, those good times can only last so long as Nita is killed by some punks doing their best smooth criminal impression after Nita attempts to stop a kidnapping.
2: Wait, didn't we review this movie last week? (laughs) I mean, this (laughs) is two for two. Isn't this Ninja Shadow of a Tear? Like, (laughs) the same premise? Basically, yeah. Yeah. You know and after following
0: our John Wick series, like this has not been a good time for wives of our heroes in movies lately,
2: <laughs> or fetuses for that matter. Like, <laughs> right, a, right. Look, a wife, a fetus. Like, yeah, no, it's it's really not going well. <laughs> 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 that's right. So that's that's the fun start to this
0: movie. We honestly,
2: get. these guys, honestly, these bad guys should be in Terminator because. A robot could not kill a mother of a child, of a to-be-born child. But these guys, it happens in the first scene. So it's like, it, yeah, they should have just sent these inept Michael Jackson wannabes to, to take out Sarah Connor. And
1: it would have been great. And what's the crawl in the beginning? Isn't there like a crawl about, like, is it post-apocalyptic? I can't remember. is it just no? It's what New York City is now?
0: I believe... Kurt from Vinegar Syndrome created that card just to okay. give it some context, but it's context. basically something along the lines of in 1984, New York City is a cesspool, bad guys everywhere. This city needs a hero.
1: Here we go. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. getting like warriors, the the warriors vibes from it, like just just gangs and that's what runs the town now, and no one is safe. Yeah. Well,
2: actually, I'm I'm glad I got Chris here because um, being a film historian, has there been a a shift? you've noticed in movies because i feel like all the movies i grew up with keep in mind i'm from long island so i went to new york city all the time and the movies made new york city seem like literally the worst place on earth yeah. like it was always like a crew the criminal element crawls from the sewer you know and then like L.A., on the other hand, is, is you know, nice. And it's where all the rich hoity-toity people hang out. And I feel like in the past 40 years, it's kind of swapped. And, That's like, right. after the 90s, New York seemed pretty nice. And then, like, all the real crime happens in L.A. Like, has, there, has <laughs> have you noticed that or anything like that? Because I feel like yeah. movies in New York City aren't as terrible.
3: Well, yeah. Well, after the – um you know, the, the late seventies, early eighties uh, there, I think there was a, a real push to uh, clean up the image of New York, you know, but it was so, so expensive to film there anyway, but uh, you know, they, 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 tried to get some, uh, you know, just a, a better image for the city uh, because you had night of the juggle. Well, I mean, even going back earlier, you had death wish, but then you had, right. um, you know, the warriors, you know, cruising uh, windows ca- came out that year. Uh, right. But then uh, Fort Apache, the Bronx night of the juggler, Wolfen, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of movies filming in the South Bronx. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, and then you had the Italian crew that came in to do the two Bronx movies. So yeah, they they were capturing like the worst neighborhoods uh, mixed blood, which was shot all around alphabet city when it was at its right. worst, you know, in the era. Yeah. So, uh, like after like 1985 you uh you start seeing uh like a better more of a woody allen <laughs>
0: yeah
3: right right more more of the, the woody allen side of town uh right. and, and society yeah
0: yeah it's it's really changed and i think the the theme of some warriors comparison is really apt in some of the stuff that we'll we'll talk about here with some very colorful gangsters. So, uh, <laughs> But we see them right away in that first scene. And we get uh, the guy that I think Kurt dubbed as Freddy Cufflinks. And I know that they had no script. So a lot of these characters, these bad mm-hmm. guys that we met, I think, like you mentioned, Plutonium Killer. We know that name because it's on a newspaper headline. But otherwise, they're just all these nameless people that we meet. So it's kind of fun what they dub them as. So, mm-hmm. you know, so we go, uh, unfortunately... Poor Nita meets her, meets her end, just like Scott Atkins' wife in Ninja 2. Um, <laughs> in the aftermath of Nita's murder, we meet John's friends and co workers, Jack and Randy, who then attempt to console a heartbroken John as he quite dramatically drowns in misery at the sight of what I guess is supposed to be an anniversary party for him and Nita.
2: Sure. William Murray kicks um, through the table all Tommy Wiseau style. <laughs> with the, the fir- our first why! why? <laughs> okay, okay, I'm going to jump in. Um, Please do. I feel like this is the martial arts movie version of The Room for a couple <laughs> <of> reasons. One... <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, it could be (laughs) terribly awesome or just terrible, but it's terrible. And two, the backstory behind it, I feel is more interesting than the movie itself. Like (laughs) I actually didn't know this when I first watched the movie. And then I'm like, I paused it for a second. I'm like, I'm going to Google something. I'm like, what a fascinating story, which, which Chris very nicely drew out for us. (laughs) Um, That's that plot. I mean, I would rather watch a movie about that. I, I really enjoyed the documentary actually. <laughs> so, th- this is the room, but eighties ninja style, in my opinion, yeah. well, I it think was... it works
1: way outside of the room. Like I was totally with you, especially with the Y scene, but as the movie goes on, I, I feel like it it kind of evolves outside of that. Tommy was so uh, area uh, mm-hmm. in, in defense of this film. Cause I, I had a lot of fun with it, but I did have a quick, quick question for Chris. Um, was John Lau on your radar? Like, because obviously he had a career before he started writing and directing. Mm-hmm. Um, was this something like that at the time? You were like, "Oh, I I know this man, and I want to see this movie." Type thing, or it was more just advertising.
3: No, I I didn't know who he was in in 1984 or 85. I didn't uh, know who he was until uh, much later. I mean, I knew I knew he was in a couple of he, he was in quite a few movies, but. Uh, I didn't see one of his films until uh, a number of years later. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah, Yeah. I was just trying um, to
1: like mm-hmm. get context of like who this man was. Cause I, I didn't know uh, that he was also the the director and that sort of caught me off guard. Where it's like, oh, he's the, the star, the director, apparently the writer, like, mm-hmm. okay, I, I need to know more about this man. Cause he does have an odd charisma about him that I, I was drawn to as the movie kept going on.
3: Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he was known as a kicker. He was, yes. He's one of the super yes. kickers. Right. But he uh, a lot of the movies, as I was saying earlier, like movies that came out with Bruce or Lee or, or Ninja in the title, they also would change the names of the stars. And give. And so it wasn't really until 1984 where uh, you, you would start seeing him credited as John Lou uh. on some of these movies because, you know, I have posters that are in the book. Uh, and that we show in the documentary where he's 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 named like Marty Lee on one of the movies,
0: <laughs> and, and yeah, is that like Bruce type?
3: Yeah, they're they're Things going where for... it's
0: just trying to feed off of Bruce,
3: right? Exactly. Yeah. So you you really had to be uh, like re- into martial arts movies and going to see them in like Chinatown theaters to know. That that his his name was John Liu, or you know that was his that was his English name. Gotcha. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, and I know uh, the two movies that yeah. uh, Curtis mentioned. I think in the documentary and the commentary is "Secret Rivals" and "Invisible
3: mm-hmm. Armor." Invincible, yeah Invincible Armor. yeah, Invincible Armor, Invincible, yes, yeah. thank you, right. yeah, with Wang Wang Zhang Li, yeah, and Don uh, da, uh, Wang Tao is in. Uh, secret rivals also so yeah they they paired him in his best movies he's paired with with other super kickers like long john lee and or um uh, casanova wong i thought it was <laughs>
2: interesting being a super kicker His um so i believe he he's taiwanese yeah or, mm-hmm. yeah but he trains in taekwondo which for those listening out there is uh is actually a korean, korean. yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's korean but like it is very very much kick based so mm-hmm. it's really a good way for the martial arts to carve out a niche because like you don't get a kickier martial art than that or like yeah. western kickboxing you know like that mm-hmm. kind of thing so yeah it, his kicks were definitely good i honestly felt like watching this movie <sighs> i felt that the fighter so john Lee watching it, I'm like, this guy is better than the fight choreography is suggesting. Because oh, yeah. the fight choreography was pretty bad. And I'm like, this guy <laughs> can clearly kick, he can clearly flip, he can clearly do all this. Th- I mean, this guy clearly has talent in martial arts. But like the fight choreography was was stilted and it was very like awkward and Mm -hmm. there were times when like you know the Hong Kong movies they kind of they all run at the guy and then they stop and then one guy takes a turn another guy takes a turn but it happens so quick that you have to really be like paying attention to care and this one I was like wow it's really kind of choppy here Mm -hmm. so um,
0: the pattern is that I found it's six guys surround John Liu and then (laughs) one at a time they come at him while he kicks them in the face
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what's up with the costumes on the thugs? Like, honestly, this movie started to creep into trauma territory for me. Oh, like, we'll those, see that those thugs yeah. reminded me of, you guys ever see Class of Newcomb High? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, remember the Cretans? Like, they in the movie, they used to be the honor society, but they were irradiated, so they became this, like, gang of, like, ridiculous thugs with, like, the most ridiculous, inefficient Punk-looking stuff that, like, you'd never see a normal person wear. But I'd expect it from Lloyd Kaufman. I wouldn't expect it from a kung fu movie. But these guys (laughs) looked ridiculous.
1: That's why I loved it. Yeah, didn't it feel like at any moment the Ninja Turtles were going to show up? And I mean, there's (laughs) there's like an April O'Neil like uh, character in this. Like it just it was hitting Mm -hmm. a lot of like I was saying the Warriors earlier, and also I was getting vibes of like Repo Man at times with the green glowing light from the Plutonium Man. Like, but did you need? Did you need the jock straps? Did you need the jock (laughs) jock (laughs) straps? Because they were wearing jock straps
2: outside their pants. Does Superman need to wear underwear outside his pants? <laughs> well, they're like Superman.
1: the like they're the bad guy version of Superman. This is maybe? like if Jimmy Olsen was Superman. Like it's just like <laughs> I'm the I'm the off I'm the cameraman's sort assistant
3: friend. Well, you know you you brought brought up a couple audio of... audio guy,
1: but I'm also Superman. These were the all Ninja.
3: 1984. I mean, to, the first issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was 84. Yeah, but I mean that was when trauma was. Toxic Avenger, I think, was shot in 84. Yeah. Repo Man was released in 84.
1: <laughs> oh. New York City in the time.
3: This is a good time for us to
0: take a break, and we'll come back and we'll dive into more of the joy and the treat that is New York Ninja. Welcome back to Punches and Popcorn. We are breaking down New York Ninja with our friend, film historian, and co-author of These Fist Break Bricks, Chris Pujali. Hey. So let's return to our story. So we have a distraught John who uh, has lost his wife. Again, this is a reoccurring theme for us. We meet our villain, the Plutonium Killer, who is given a shady request for abducted women by the mysterious man dubbed Pale Man. And we later see the Plutonium Killer having a fun time with a glowing box and a candle as his face and hands melt. Sure. Yeah, I'm glad we gave us a little background there, Chris, because watching (laughs) it, I'm like, what what is happening here? Other than (laughs) like... So in the commentary, I forget if it was Ginger Lynn, one of the voiced actresses, I guess, had said to Chris, when I'm voicing this, am I supposed to sound like I'm being hurt or i'm having sex and uh, in in this scene the plutonium killer and almost every woman in this movie there's so many scenes where (laughs) if you just listen to the sound it could go either way (laughs) 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 so i didn't know like is, is he having fun with this candle or what i i don't know i don't know so we pick back up with john who's understandably very distraught As he travels around New York, uh, revisiting the site of his wife's murder, goes to the Staten Island Ferry, and then to the Brooklyn Heights Promenade, where he tries to make sense of this senseless killing. And it's there on the promenade that a gang of punks with some, as we mentioned, insane outfits attack him. Uh, I guess they're attempting to steal his wife's ashes? Or is that like what the thing that he was carrying? Around? I thought he had it was a like ring ur-
2: too, so maybe they wanted.
0: He the did ring? well. That was the cufflink.
2: Yeah, did the cuff he, that that's he,
0: what it was. That he bit for some reason on the ferry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm shrugging. By the way, for those of you at home, I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but these these thugs attack him, and that's really the first time we get to see him show off his fight moves on anything more than a poor table. this is another scene where the six punks surround him in a circle and he pretty quickly dispatches with them so again (laughs) lots of kicks so again john shows these punks he is not one to be trifled with and he makes one last appeal to his friend detective jimmy williams uh who write in the script that's detective dolomite and he's Unable to offer John really any hopes for justice, which leads him into probably my favorite scene in the movie, where he's just walking into posts and gives us yeah. this really dramatic split kick, screaming, "Why?"
1: <laughs> that's like dumb saying it's the Tommy Wiseau scene. There, that, definitely, that's peak Tommy Wiseau.
2: <laughs> oh my god! Can I get a T-shirt that says "I Love New York Ninja" on it? Yeah. Like the merch. Can we all it, built have built that the movie. Yeah. Yeah, even I mean, this, even I, want like, a, I want a throwing star with his logo on it. I like, know when
1: she looks at it and reads "New York Ninja," I, I, then was like get those. My favorite part.
2: Did he get those yes. done at the mall at like Things Remembered? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like a mug and a shuriken with "New York Ninja" written on them, please. Yeah. I'd like forty of them. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> I, you know what? If Things Remembered doesn't do ninja stars, they're missing out on a huge opportunity. There, oh, yeah. there's got to be. <laughs> That's a good point. There's a whole market for vigilante justice fighters that are in need of their work. (laughs) So after John has had enough, I guess, of asking why, it's kind of like a kung fu hamlet here where he's spent (laughs) a lot of time uh, just kind of moping, which again, understandably so. And he finally decides the only answer, he must become the New York ninja. And then what follows is a wild tour around New York as punks are running wild in the subway in Midtown and Times Square. Uh, We talked about that earlier. We see them walking through all the Kung Fu movies and we're met. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. on. Uh, uh,
2: uh, Oh, go ahead, uh, uh. go ahead. This is the first martial arts movie I've ever seen (laughs) where a ninja does ninja moves on roller skates. Roller yeah, skates. So roller skates. Yep. <laughs> <Yeah, 'cause laughs> I have to have to talk about the roller skates. Let's talk about it. So that we was, see the punks. That was a then... disco inferno of
1: ninja awesomeness. <laughs> like, wow. I loved it. <laughs> so good. What is the weapon he uses where it's like a bath bomb, but it's chalky? Like uh, like chalk bombs? Ninja what? eggs? Yeah, what are those? Yeah. I wanted to ask you guys
3: that because I've never seen that. It's like a, explosive uh, powder. It's okay, <laughs> so yeah, you, you see them in in like Japanese ninja movies where they uh, so great they'll throw you know they it's to distract and then they disappear and in a puff of smoke uh, or skate down. away in this case right yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> right or, skate right. away yeah.
0: and then flip away without them and then <laughs> and then skate again later. <laughs> yeah. There's punks running wild on the streets of New York, and New York Ninja is there to save it. So we get our hero and he even jumps in to help save his reporter buddies who uh, appear to have zero fear as they're following baddies all through the five boroughs with a rather large and visible video camera. Uh, Our ninja rescues Randy from one of her many, many attempted kidnappings in this movie. (laughs) After punks go street fighter on Jack's car. And in between all this becomes his own hero with his own merch. Is he gets a leg up on the bad guys stopping several rapes and abductions
2: throughout New York? Yeah, these thugs are really rapey. Do they live anywhere or do they just walk around cackling and like groping <laughs> women? These thugs are just like it's so one-dimensional, it's wonderful. Also, can we talk about how the reporter and the cameraman are sociopaths? Because there's one <laughs> scene, there's one Please. scene where two women are about to get gang raped by those. We're very poorly dressed thugs and they're like, keep filming. And I'm like, call the police. Oh my god. Do something. You know. And then a New York ninja comes in and they're like, keep filming. I'm like, help him. What are you doing? <laughs> like, I get the plot device, but like, I was watching it with my wife, who is not a schlock fan at all. Anyway, so she's watching this and she's like, this is terrible. What are they doing? Why are they just sitting there? And I'm like, I'm glad you're here to point out this, this. Because it's like, yeah. how about the
0: scene where one of the scenes where they're doing that and it's the fight that he has where it's like five minutes straight that he keeps his leg in the air just kicking people left and right like never puts the foot down again Mm -hmm. he i can't stand on one leg for more than 10 seconds before (laughs) falling and this guy's got it up there for like five minutes while kicking people left and right but all that while, again, this is another scene where his friends are just filming all this, and he was with them, right? And he disappears, and it's right. it's such like a <laughs> Superman a scene, tent. yeah. <laughs> right, where as soon as it's over, they're like, "Oh wait, where's John?" And then he shows up. Did I miss anything? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that that's not suspicious at all. <laughs> Uh, Right, but unfortunately, so all these good times do come to an end after he attempts to rescue a kid that we had seen getting bullied earlier, Uh, and that rescue attempt leads to him and the kid being shot. That was pretty dramatic, right? Seeing a child Mm -hmm. being shot and him. So that gives us kind of our first interlude. John, of course, being the hero, helps the kid himself, hospitals be damned, leading them to become (laughs) buddies, going fishing
1: special medicine that healed the dead child like I, that's what I was kind of questioning like that seemed they just had their shirts off together and they were both healed and <laughs> I don't know I not want to like... say it but as long as you said it yeah
0: well yeah. I mean then, the transition like... from that to the speedo fishing is it's interesting
2: <laughs> yeah does he look under the water for the fish and then spear them? Like that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> like he literally had a spear, which wasn't really a spear. It looked like honestly one of those things you stir matcha with at the end of <laughs> right. a stick. And <laughs> right, then he sticks right, right. his head in the water. Keep in mind he's wearing a red speedo, and uh-huh. the man has no body fat. <laughs> and like Zero. so he's he looks like he's just a string, a muscular string bean with his head in the water it's amazing and then the kid catches a fish too actually it's kind of funny when we were i was watching like i said i was watching the movie with my wife and this is right before she's like i've had enough and left um (laughs) when when the kid is fishing and john and john and the kid are fishing and john spears a fish he's like i got one and the kid's like i got one too and she's like he's gonna reel in a dead body of a woman and i was like it does not happen it's just a
0: have
1: been better though
2: (laughs) somewhere on a,
0: a houseboat in Vietnam where apparently John Liu is right now. he yeah. If he heard that, he, I bet, would be kicking himself for not thinking of that. <laughs> uh, brilliant work. Yeah, so he helps this kid. They have their fishing time. Then they go take in the, the village Halloween parade, where mm-hmm. we also catch up with our head bad guy, the plutonium killer, as we get the treat, uh, I'll call it, of watching him abduct, assault, and murder another woman in a... Per- particularly gruesome sequence
1: so was there any again I know that they had a this movie was almost from scratch in terms of what the raw John meets the plutonium killer and kind of like they have like a like a, a meat cute almost
3: <laughs> <laughs> then he, yeah like
1: did John know that was a plutonium killer probably not but it just seems like it was so weird their interaction he had the kid on his shoulders with
2: i think that's the point it's like oh you know everyone's having fun and oh yeah there's a yeah. radioactive murder guy <laughs> radioactive <laughs> radioactive <laughs> yeah. murder guy who, yeah but he's hypnotizes assaults that woman i think the documentary said that was his actual girlfriend in real life yes like, how yeah the that was okay. she on set with him and he's like hey i'm <laughs> filming this movie you want to come in and film a nude sex scene where I kill you at the end? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. She's like, yeah. Right, in the documentary, they had
0: one guy from the crew, very hit or miss, who they were actually able to track down and talk to. Yeah, I I would love to know how that conversation went. Like, okay, so you're going to come in here, we're going to do this, and I'm going to... I'm going to like also have a candle that like melts my hand and face, and then I'm gonna burn you, and then we're gonna stuff you in a trash can. <laughs> it's a glamorous, glamorous way. Also, to... what
2: was up with the cops where they like, they're like, Is she dead? It's like, Does she what happened? It's like, Does she have any burns that marks on her? Probably. I'm like, What do you mean she's right there naked in a trash can? <laughs> <And then laughs> they just awful. walk away, and... <laughs> and then they just leave her there, right? Yeah. I mean, in
0: theory, like that. somebody's gonna come and like. Well, you want to hope that then later, oh, the, you know, the Emmy will come and get her down to the morgue and. Uh, The last thing we see is them all just walking away while she's in the trash can. Uh Looks like she
2: was strangled with this little, like, uh, yeah, (laughs) moving on. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah, so things really start moving fast here. And honestly, that's one of the things with this movie. Like, when I was just writing out the outline for it, man, this movie moves fast. There is a lot that they put in, Mm -hmm. and which is amazing thinking about, again, this is a movie that sat in the warehouse or whatever in vinegar syndrome that Chris mm-hmm. saw and it just said they had to construct this and then build this into some sort of sensible mm-hmm. narrative um but again it's Air just quote, scenes sensible. are like well, <laughs> quote unquote uh, you know when they go really fast
2: can I comment please. on please because there's something I'd do. like to bring up like this so what they filmed I've clearly am butchering and I will continue to butcher for the rest of this But what Vinegar Syndrome did, I think is very good. In all seriousness, I'm very impressed with how Vinegar Syndrome took this, and I feel like the pacing was good, which is them, because they edited it. It was all unedited Mm -hmm. footage, and then they edited it. The pacing is good, the music is fun, that's all them. The dubbing was as good as it can be, but the voice acting was, was great. You can give the mo- original movie a certain grade, but I think that vinegar syndrome deserves an A. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I thought it was really well done. I thought they made something really good out of because I think a lot of a lot of exploitation movies, the big issue is pacing. And right, right. In this movie, they took a movie that like could very easily be terribly paced, and they paced it really well.
3: You have to give credit to Curtis because this was this was Curtis's project. He put the film together and he wrote the script and uh, he brought in Voyager 3 to do the to do the soundtrack and everything. It, it, this was his project and he did it in his spare time. And what what's funny is uh, you mentioned, Michael, uh, you you mentioned a couple minutes ago, the one crew member that's that's interviewed. Carmen oh, yeah. Marlano. Right. Yeah, I've known Carl for a number of years. Oh, wow. And I didn't realize when I first asked Ryan about in 2019 about New York Ninja, he said, you know, we're going to be doing something with this, but don't tell anybody.
1: So people (laughs) kept
3: saying, don't tell anyone, you know, keep the secret and everything. And so when Joe sent me the. The film without the soundtrack. Don't tell anyone and everything. They were very secretive when they brought Michael Gingold and Glenn Basley in to do the featurette and so on, uh, and the documentary about it. Right. Don't tell anybody and They kept it <laughs> such a secret that when, when we finally started like mentioning it, and and I, I did a little research and I I found somewhere on Facebook I think like six or seven years ago Carl Morano mentioned in a post that he had worked on New York Ninja and I got called Mike and I said, did you know, Carl worked on the movie? And Mike was like, what? I said, yeah. And and so he called Carl and Carl's like, Oh yeah, yeah. I worked on New York Ninja. I've got the call sheets. I've got the screenplay. And it's like, if they had said something, if they hadn't been so secretive, (laughs) Curtis would have had the script it would have <laughs> saved him so much time, a year maybe of of piecing this together. Cause it's the, the movie stick. You know, it stuck to the script pr- pretty closely. Uh, you know, and right, and uh, right. yeah, it, it would have saved so much time if they hadn't been so secretive <laughs> about it. Um, but you That's know, really uh, funny and sad yeah. at the same time. Right? Yeah. But, yeah. but, but it adds the to the hand, charm of it, right? Yeah. But but you know, on the other hand, it was a, a really great experience for Curtis. I mean, it is just. I mean, film schools should should teach this. Yeah. As, oh, yeah. You know, like to take take negative camera negative no soundtrack you know transfer it you do a digital transfer of it and then try to piece it together the only thing he had were the slates you know right, the, right. the information on the slates yeah and a lot of times they couldn't even read what was what was on those slates but yeah, that was it and so mm-hmm. he had to put it together and, and figure out like pacing and so on and and you know like i said reading you know, bringing in a lip reader for a couple of scenes and everything yeah it was a a long challenging job to put this together and it it was mostly curtis you know when he got to a certain point and he put it together and he showed the guys then it was like oh wait we we have something here this is great (laughs) so then started talking about you know bringing in C- Cynthia Rothrock or Michael Berryman and these other people to dub voices but it, but it was yeah it was you want to try to do this put this together fine it's it's all yours because it would still be sitting in a box there if right Curtis right. you know, Kurt, saying hey you know what we should do something with this the raw the raw materials though
1: like I, I want to say like it's pretty ambitious like the plutonium killer like usually <laughs> like even we were just talking about um ninja 2 there's no genre angle of like the main baddie in that movie like having plutonium issues like and then in, I'm, I'm getting ahead of our plot synopsis here but like Interpol shows up like it's
3: mm-hmm. it's pretty
1: I don't know like I I was very charmed like. By the raw materials, obviously, like you guys are appraising as you should. What vinegar syndrome did, but like, I, I think there's something here. I was very involved. In, Chris, in Jay like is our Jay
2: is our schlock apologist.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that is true. All right, I own up to that. <laughs> well, the you no, know, the, I, the Interpol guy was was Cur- Curtis bringing more to it than was originally in the script. Oh, god, I mean, okay. ah, that, right. that, guy, that guy is. That that scene was in the script was supposed to be shot around the UN. And oh, I think it was okay. kind of, okay. an ambassador, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you can say he brought he brought more to the story than yeah. it was it deserved, I think. Yeah, right. <laughs> or was there <laughs> right. was there to begin with. That's so great. <laughs> yeah. Well it's, it's interesting. Uh,
0: Chris, you said this earlier that I think mm-hmm. as a apt description of it, this is almost feels more like a comic book movie than mm-hmm. than a kung fu movie or you know other ninja movies that mm-hmm. we've seen but there's a moment where uh, again we've talked about the merch there's a lot of ninja merch in this mm-hmm. um and the ninja has his own street team of these kids that <laughs> yeah. uh you know at one point when they're attacked and uh, Randy's I don't know like her 35th attempted kidnapping in this movie <laughs> uh they're interrupted by the, his ninja crew that is just a spontaneous group of what looked like half the kids in Brooklyn who suddenly have ninja costumes and signs declaring, we love New York Ninja. And even the detective, Janet Flores, she's the one that Cynthia Rothrock voices. Like she's basically wearing a, I love New York Ninja t-shirt throughout the, i Dom, you said this too, right? Like I need one of those t-shirts. Oh yeah, we got to
2: get them. I feel like we could make them like they're they're iron-ons clearly. So yeah. Oh
0: yeah. They're actually, so this past, uh, the weekend before we're recording this, we had the Anomaly Film Festival here in Rochester. And at Anomaly, there was in there like decorations in the theater. There was a, I love New York Ninja sign in there (laughs) that I, if you follow us on Twitter (laughs) at Punches and Popcorn. Uh, I took a picture of that and shared it. Um, all right, so let's let's. We got a lot going on in this movie. <laughs> so eventually, you know, there's a lot of times where uh, the Plutonium Killer is trying to and his henchman Rat Tail, his chauffeur, talk, his chauffeur, right, yeah. <laughs> with a really interesting hairstyle. I mean, very eighties. Eventually, they are able to finally abduct Jack and Randy, which leaves John once again despondent. He's kind of back in a mopey mode. But, you know, I kind of feel for him because even though he's this hero, the New York Ninja, he's got his street team, he's got his merch, he's got his his shurikens from <laughs> Things Remembered, I guess. Uh, he's still unable to protect the people that he loves until he gets a pep talk from none other than uh, Detective Jimmy Williams, who somehow he figured out that John is the New York Ninja, and he convinces him that only the New York Ninja can rescue all their friends. Uh, including Janet Flores, who now has also been abducted, like every single woman in this movie, right? Like, is there any woman character we meet that doesn't get abducted in this movie? Or murdered? Silence. (laughs) Crickets. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so all this, uh, including a a segue for a little attempted double-cross by uh, are the thugs here or the punks that I guess work for the plutonium killer brings us to the dramatic conclusion where our beloved New York Ninja and his buddy, detective Williams raid the compound where the kidnapped women are being held. And finally we get our dramatic confrontation first with rat tail and ultimately the
2: plutonium killer. Can I, can I stop pause for a second? Because of um, course you can. Do you remember the scene where he jumps on the car where the plutonium killer is in the car. He's in the front seat. I don't know where the chauffeur is, right? The thugs try to double cross him. Yes. And then the New York Ninja jumps on the car Right. And then somehow he manifests a fishing net out of thin air. Oh, fishing net? I thought (laughs) that was a volleyball net. (laughs) I I don't know. Some sort of mesh. Um, (laughs) Right. uh, right. He manifests out of thin air. I don't know where it came from. Like, he isn't like stocked like, um, like Franco Nero was. You know how Franco Nero shows up, he's wearing all white, and he's got. So, right in 1984, he looks enter like a 90s ninja. comic book character. Oh, yeah, I'm like, no, like this guy, like he got nothing. And all of a sudden, he has a net, and then he throws the net onto the guys, and then they throw the net back at him. What was that like? I feel like they, I feel like they, they messed up the take and are like, okay, we'll, we'll edit this out in post. And Vinegar Syndrome's like, nope, we're gonna keep the whole damn thing because it was just so sloppy, it was just so sloppy.
0: Well, there's some things that I, in the commentary, uh, Curtis talked about. He tried to smooth out some of the inaccuracies through it. But then there's some parts where he, like the infamous scene where the ninja is roller skating and then does the flip over the car and he clearly does not have the skates on. And then they're back again that he said, well, this is kind of the the flavor of these movies, right? Like the greatness <laughs> of schlock that he just decided, you know what, we're leaving this in. Because mm-hmm. so I want that could totally be one that he's like, yeah, we're, we're just leaving it because this is too weird not to have in here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, to be honest, like if you took out the things that were weird from this movie, I mean, <laughs> what the movie would be 10 minutes, right?
3: <laughs> well, you know, there was a uh, there was a similar scene or or, or bit in uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight where Gina Davis was she, she's on ice skates. And she jumps over a car and, like, you know, flips and shoots in midair, shoots everybody in the car, like through the roof <laughs> of the car, like with wow. a machine gun, and then lands and skates away. And I guess audiences were howling ah. with laughter at this thing. And it, it That's just Shane looks, Black goodness right yeah, there. Like, it tracks. I mean, it's in the screenplay. And uh, I saw, like, an early version of the trailer, and they showed part of that in the trailer but they cut it it's it's not in the finished film and so i thought of that when i was watching new york ninja and flips it i was like oh this is this is what was cut from long kiss movie. <laughs> uh
0: yeah so there, there's this the scene where the ninja attacks the plutonium killer who's kind of defending himself from this double cross and ultimately again we get to the showdown at this warehouse where um The ninja frees the girls, and Janet Flores gets to show some of her own ass-kicking skill. And uh, we get kind of the final showdown with the Plutonium Killer, who shows us another interesting ability that he has to steal faces. (laughs) And I guess a part of that is like, so he, he burns a picture of jack the the cameraman <laughs> who the picture's eyes bleed and then he has that face in, face but
1: i didn't uh... see this in john wick
2: <laughs> right
1: right that was More all ninja missing. delivers
2: and, and then his one weakness is light so like the ninja shines a mirror yes in his eyes and because he doesn't have his welding glasses on anymore he's allergic like, to light he's allergic to light and then his yeah. face was so he melts. a vampire? Shrugs. <laughs> <laughs> it melts off, and it's his face again. And then, like they fight in the hangar, and he's got a giant switchblade that looks like a claymore, and it's it's great, right? <laughs> it's right. great. <laughs> the final scene actually is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. That that and the roller skating scene. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the final, the fight, or after the fight. The fight. The fight. Where he <laughs> right, tries so they
2: to have off his goggles with the with with the short katana. And it's, <laughs> it's so awesome.
0: <laughs> right. So they have this dramatic sword fight in the heliport after again the girls have all been freed, and this is, I think, the final abduction, if we want to call it, of Randy, but luckily somehow she gets left behind <laughs> during that fight. Um, there's a collapsing sword in there mm-hmm. somehow. And then we get the last, the last surprising device thing that our New York Ninja has stowed away with his gear. You know, we've already we've had countless chalk bombs, the mirror, and at the end, as the bad guys escape, apparently he's also got a bomb in there. Yeah. Which he it shimmies sure up the helicopter, tosses the bomb in, and mm-hmm. boom, the Plutonium Killer is dead, or so we think. Well, you see uh, that. The end-
3: You you see the bomb thing in like old in 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 the Japanese ninja movies of the 60s, uh, because the ninjas wouldn't want to be identified that they were from a certain clan. So they Ah. would blow themselves up. So they, Ah. they had explosives and they would they would like fall on something and blow themselves up or destroy their face. So they couldn't be identified. Oh, that's an Ega ninja. Oh, that's a Koga ninja. Now they just oh, like, interesting. Rip their face off like with a with a tool or something. Yeah, wow. interesting. I did not
0: know that a bomb was a essential part of ninja gear. Yeah. That's incredible, <laughs> incredible. <laughs> um, but in the end, our New York ninja emerges victorious. The Plutonium Killer is dead, and uh, the cops, even though they attempt to arrest the ninja, the street team comes back. These ninja kids come to the rescue, allowing our hero to escape so he can return again in LA Ninja, which sadly we <laughs> never got.
3: No, but we got the comic book, which is the sequel. Nice. This, this, this is Whoa. the sequel. What? Yeah. Because if you notice, he never gets Freddy Cufflings. So he, he that's, never, gets oh, that's true. Movie, he doesn't. And, but you got to get the comic book because this is all about finding Freddy Cufflings, and also uh, Rat Tail doesn't oh. die in the movie. Right, right. comes back oh. in the comic book. Was yeah. the All LA right.
1: sequel, is that like an invention of Curtis, or is that actually something that they were planning on in the original?
3: No, they they, they weren't planning on that. Uh, that. That was Curtis. Ah, it's so yeah. great. Yeah, Just he like, wanted to do a female, out. I think, a female New York Ninja in oh, LA. Man. That's oh,
0: that would be sweet. May, it, yeah. Maybe he'll. I know this movie has gotten a lot of credit. In fact, just recently, this was covered by how did this get made like oh, amazing nice. that it got covered by a podcast that 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 is that big. So hey, maybe maybe we'll get it. Yeah, I didn't know about that comic book. That's super oh, yeah. sweet. So yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah. I'm going to find that and I will put that out on, on our socials where you can find that. So mm-hmm. if you aren't already follow us at punches and popcorn, uh, both Twitter or X and Instagram. And I think they're um, doing
3: a second. I, I think there's probably a, a number two on the way because this is this ends with a To Be Continued. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah.
3: Oh, oh, oh. Nice. In Toledo <laughs> Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, that,
0: that is an incredible film. Uh, Dom, I'm hoping that you can cap us off here with a science segment. With science. Yes, science. Science.
2: Not
3: rocket science, just say yes and we'll move on. Oh! I don't think knows, actually.
2: Okay, so I was, so at first I was thinking I'd talk about plutonium or something, uh, you know, because it's the <laughs> plutonium killer, but <laughs> I actually don't know a lot about radioactive decay. And I started looking into it and I'm like, all right, not happening. <laughs> um, I know people who could tell me a lot about it, but I, I just didn't have time. But I figured vinegar syndrome is the name of the company that basically mm-hmm. did the release of this. And we, I, we've I, we been praising their job, job that they did. When I first heard the term vinegar syndrome, someone explained it to me. When I first heard it, I was like, what the hell is this? my wife was like, it sounds like a garage punk band. I thought it sounds like a venereal (laughs) disease. So we looked into it. So So let's talk about what vinegar syndrome is and there's quite a bit of chemistry in it. So first things first. Back in the day they made film that was called cellulose acetate film. And basically what it is is the first film was a version called cellulose diacetate. Now let's rewind and talk about what those components are. Really all it is is cellulose treated with acetic acid. What is cellulose? Well, everyone has encountered cellulose because it's basically one of the major ingredients in plants. It's um, the thing in their cell walls that gives them integrity, it makes up half of what is what we call wood. Most of what is paper or cardboard is a product of it. Uh, And it's what goes through your system in the form of fiber. It's um, really so as as you may or may not know, plants, they do photosynthesis and photosynthesis results in sugar. If you put the sugar together one way, into long chain molecule you get what's called starch which you can break back down into sugar later on right but if you put it together another way you get this very long chain that is super super hard to break and it's called cellulose so it has a lot of structural integrity and this is how the plant holds itself up and also um it can't be digested so when we eat cellulose it just goes through us that's why it's fiber it just goes right through this also makes it very strong and very sturdy and a good thing to use for like i said building houses you build houses out of wood or cotton shirts are primarily cellulose or in this case film the other component is acetic acid um with is also known as ethanolic acid not because it's naturally made by adding oxygen to ethanol. We talked about ethanol in the John Wick podcast. Ethanol is booze, right? And that's what vinegar is. Vinegar is essentially if you take booze and you aerate it, the oxygen bonds with the ethanol and it turns it into acetic acid. And that's the primary component of vinegar. So basically what they did is the Germans first came up with it. They created something called sell it. In 1901, which is essentially where they took cellulose and they mixed it with vinegar, acetic acid, and boom, they get this cellulose acetate film. Uh, It was improved in the US in 1904 and it was modified into a non flammable version called Boroid in 1910. So it kind of makes sense what actually happens here is bonding the uh, uh, acetic acid with the cellulose results in the film. And what happens after a while is it deteriorates and the bonds break down, and that's actually what happened. So vinegar syndrome, which was coined by the British Film Institute Preservation Harold Brown, uh, was first reported in the late 1940s. Because, like I said, this film the film came out in the early 1900s, and then about 30 years later, they started to notice that it was breaking down. And what was essentially happening is the um, acetic acid would separate from the uh, from the cellulose. Right. Which would cause the vinegary smell, because essentially you're smelling the acid that you find in vinegar, hence mm. vinegar syndrome. Another problem with doing this is not only does it break, not only does the does it degrade the acid come off of it, but also when it degrades, it also breaks the, the cellulose down from long chains to small chain tra- chains and this causes the film to shrink. So another mm-hmm. characteristic of vinegar syndrome is the film actually shrinks and becomes brittle, right? And mm-hmm. if you try to stretch it when you're, you know, running the camera, it shatters. Before the shattering, another thing that's interesting is they also use gelatin, right? Gelatin is mm-hmm. jello, it's a protein, right? The acid does not affect that. So what happens is the gelatin stays the same size. The uh, cellulose shrinks, so you get a buckling effect in between the two, which they call channeling. Another problem is the acid—the acid uh, acidification of this calls any plasticizer that you put in it to kind of collect and bubble. So you got shrinkage, you got buckling, you got bubbles, and then also the acids degrade the dyes. So the dyes tend to. So what happens is the film starts to change. To cooler colors like blue or purples, and yeah. le- so now the film's shot. Basically, another big problem is as the film degrades, it can also—it's a lot of acid, and acid corrodes. So anything that's metallic that the film is stored in can also be damaged. So mm-hmm. it, it was a really big problem. Now it's irreversible. It's one—it's irreversible, and two—it's going to happen no matter what. So this is this is a real problem. You can slow it because it, it increases in humidity because like the water will bond to the acetic gas acid and pull it off and of course reactions ha- happen quicker when it's warm so you can store it in cool place so cool dry places will delay it and but like after 70 years it's gone so this has become a real big problem and you know a, a worthwhile thing to name the company after for preserving film because Ooh all film's going to degrade it's just going to happen uh, and it's not just it's not just movie film magnetic tape same thing and polarizers that you put on screens same thing so this is go- in order to preserve film eventually all film is going to have to be digitized or it's or it's going to be gone because it's just an inevitability of the cellulose and the acetate decoupling from one another it's bound mm-hmm. to happen that's all I got. <laughs> that's that's mate
0: That's awesome, and th- that's why it's great that we have companies like Vinegar Syndrome who are really dedicated to, uh, you know, preserving this stuff, digitizing, and making it available for mm-hmm. us to see. Uh, it's yeah. it's sad; otherwise, we never would have gotten this gem that we have covered tonight, guys. I think that's a wrap for New York Ninja. Any final thoughts about this film from any of you?
1: I just want to know quickly quickly. Chris, do you do you like this movie? Like, is it something?
3: Yeah. I, yeah. I enjoy. It. Yeah, I I like all of John Liu's movies, even uh-huh. though the, none of them are good. the, the, <laughs> the, the, the four that he directed, I yeah, mm-hmm. I, I. But I I enjoy them, but yeah, all all four of them are they're not good movies. Um, <laughs> New York Ninjas. Problem. Probably the the best of the four. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I can't I can't judge it as a John Lou movie. It's, you know, right. it's a vinegar, you know, Curtis Spiel right. movie. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, yeah, I, I like Dragon Blood. That's a western that he did. Um and, Yeah. They're, they're they're all Ninja in the Claws of the CIA. Vinegar Syndrome put that out earlier this year, and I did a, an audio commentary for it. Oh, see. So know, if anybody oh, wants to know more about John Lew, uh I, I do a, a commentary on that. Terrific. Yeah, well, mm-hmm.
0: Go check out Ninja and the Claws of the CIA from Z- Vinegar Syndrome. You're going to hear our friend Chris here. Well, Chris, uh, I want to thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, it's yes, always a pleasure. You. Yes, You're thank you welcome. so much. are welcome.
3: fascinating you.
2: story. Uh,
0: you mentioned uh, Ninja and the Claws of the CIA. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything new coming out that our listeners should be on the lookout for?
3: Uh, yeah, on Black Friday, there's going to be a, a Vinegar Syndrome a box set, uh, ten, 10 movies uh, or uh, 10 discs, I guess. I'm not sure, but it's going to come with uh, other, at least 10 movies. Uh, there's going to be a book in there, uh, a full-length, a you know, feature-length documentary on lost movies. Uh, so I was interviewed for the documentary uh, about a year and a half ago. And, uh, and I also I wrote a, an essay for the book. And did an audio commentary for a movie called Violated, which was uh, directed <laughs> by Albert Zugsmith, the uh, the producer of Touch of Evil and mm, yeah uh, yeah Tarnished Angels. He he did a lot of uh, In- uh, In- incredible Shrinking Man was another one of his productions. Ah. Yeah, he, he was a a really great uh, budget minded uh, producer for Universal, who you know by the early '70s was doing you know softcore Movies and, and yeah, he'd really fall fall on hard times. This was his last movie, uh, but wow. it's been lost for years. It's it's another one of those movies that, uh, that I never thought I would see, and and there are a lot of them that Vinegar Syndrome has found over the years. That's awesome. Oh, that's incredible! Yeah. So, yeah, check out the Lost
0: Picture Show uh Vinegar Syndrome. We'll put that out on our socials to uh, Vinegar Syndrome. You it's that this is that wonderful time of the year around Black Friday and mm-hmm. after where. All these uh, physical disc companies are blessing us with sales. So go support physical media. Yes, um, and s- speaking of physical media, if I can call it that, uh, again, <laughs> check out Chris and, Gra- and our friend uh, Grady Hendricks' book, "These Fist Break Bricks." Uh, that's again the one that's what we consider the Bible of our podcast. It's available at uh, you know many of your local mm-hmm. independent bookstores. Please go and shop independent bookstores. And go to your favorite booksellers online, uh, like Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org. And, of course, you can order the book through this, these thesefistbreakbricks.com. To all our listeners, thank you again for joining us on another Ninja November adventure. Give us a follow on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. And Instagram, <laughs> at punches and popcorn. And if you're looking for more Ninja... Make sure you give us a follow or subscribe on Apple, Spotify or any of your favorite podcast apps uh, where you can also check out our past episodes, including uh, the one we've talked about a few times today, uh, Revenge of the Ninja, our episode with Chris and Grady from last year. Uh, Drop us a review while you're there. Um, And if you have any other movies you want to hear us cover, hit us up. Punchesandpopcorn at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and be sure to check out the other shows on the Lunch Door Podcast Network including uh, anomaly presents genre film podcast food about town with our pal Chris Lindstrom, the level up coffee podcast and behind the glass celebrating the amazing photographers blessing Rochester with their art until next time. Just remember only a ninja can kill a ninja. Good night. This has been a presentation of the lunch Hour podcast
2: network.